Do your knees hurt? It's Thursday of Revival Week. They ought to. Your knees hurt? Have you been spending time with God in prayer that your knees hurt? I got done praying. I was waiting for those around me to finish and it dawned on me that my knees hurt. Now that's a good feeling. To feel pain in your knees because you've been spending time with God. They didn't hurt from a joint achy perspective. I'm not that old yet. But they hurt because there's some calluses wearing up on them. Y'all ought to have some hole in your knee, hole in the knees of your pants. And spending time with God. Your knees hurt. It is hard for me to preach during revivals here at Faith. By my count, I believe this is the 10th revival we've held at Faith and my nearly nine years uh, here at the church. And um, it's always trying for me uh, to be able to, to break the preacher and let him have a night off. And um, the reason why is that throughout the week of revival, I have about a million thoughts that run through my mind. And um, sometimes it's hard for me to center myself upon the message that, that God would have us to preach and not just go and tell you everything I've been thinking about um, all week. And um, Faith, you'll probably hear that over the next several weeks anyway, and um, so we don't need to try to do that uh, here all this evening. But I do want to ask you tonight, as we would look to the Scriptures here in a minute, to examine yourselves. Both those that are lost and those that profess to be saved to examine yourselves. The reality tonight is that by the best that I can look around and examine the state of God's churches, by the best that I can look around and can examine the state of Christianity, in which there seems to be a great number of people who profess to be Christians, a great number of people who, to, who profess to have had an experience with God and salvation, that live in lives that are marked by sin. And listen to me, if your life is characterized by sin, if your life is not characterized by a direct passion and desire and service to the Lord, you need to examine yourself. The reality is that the Scriptures say that if you would look at your life and there would be no fruit there, and that you would see your life marred by sin, and you see that there is a pattern of sin in your life, Scripture would say the reality is you're not saved. So examine yourself tonight. Because what we're going to be looking at, I'm going to be reading from the first chapter of the book of Romans, what we're going to be looking at tonight deals with the wrath of God. And the reality tonight is that the wrath of God is a vital part of the Gospel. It is the wrath of God that was poured out upon Jesus in your stead. Jesus endured the wrath of God that you might have a way to escape it. So when we consider the wrath of God, it is of the highest importance that we would consider it rightly as Christ has endured it that we may not have to. And my friend tonight, if your calling, if your election is not sure, if you stand tonight and you don't have the reality of salvation as indicated by the life that you are living, you need to consider the wrath of God. Because you might convince me of your lie. You might convince others 
of your lie. You might convince entire congregations of your lie to the extent that your name will be on the roll of a church, but you cannot convince God of your lie. He knows the depths of your heart and He knows the truth of the reality tonight of whether or not you are lost or whether you are saved. Whether you are one of His or whether you're one of those that would oppose Him. Tonight, make your calling and election sure. And I say those things not because I don't love you. I say those things because I love you. I would sooner try to warn you that your life is not in agreement with the Scriptures concerning salvation, that you might get those things made right here before you stand before God. We're going to look at some of those things as we go on tonight. If you haven't already, turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Romans and pray for me this evening as we try to look to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 1. Paul is introduced here uh, some of his thoughts he's, he's greeted uh, the, the christians gathered at rome and i just want to read verse 15 and we'll pick it up from there he says so as much as in, as in me is i am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at rome also for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believe it to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed to, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead. Listen to this last part. So that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their, excuse me, in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God, listen to this, wherefore God also gave them up to unclean through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. And we'll stop there at verse 25. We, we only read one of the God gave them up statements that Paul makes here in the book of Romans. I encourage you to go and study those on your own sometime as he continues here in Romans chapter 1. But I hope you picked up on a few things in the scripture reading tonight. Paul had a desire to preach the gospel in Rome. He has been preaching and here he is in Rome and he's writing to the Romans of his desire to come to them that he might be able to preach to them. And he had a reason for his desire to preach and it was that he was not ashamed of the gospel. He understood it to be the power of God unto salvation. 
I want to ask you tonight, believer, is the gospel the fabric of your life? Are you living according to the power of God? If you are living according to the power of God, the gospel will be something that you hold dear to you and that you want and desire to witness to others. Why? For it is the power of God, the salvation. Paul said he was anxious to go to Rome and to preach because he was not ashamed of the gospel for he understood it to be the power of God unto salvation. You've probably heard it before about that word power. It's not just talking about it in some light way. As man might measure power of something, we might measure the power of some power tool or, or something that we're trying to determine how much power we need to, to light the building. The word power here in the Greek is the Greek word dunamis. The same word we derive from to get to the word dynamite. The gospel is the dynamite of God. <laughs> it is fit to break up the stoniest of hearts. It is capable tonight to take you who would sit in your sin and take pleasure and according to the own comforts of your creature and it would take it, it would blow up your reality that you might instead see God. It is the power of God unto salvation. He said He is not ashamed. He went on, he said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is revealed. Now, when Paul's writing here, I think he's writing concerning things that he would see and understand of the wrath of God. But I want you to know not only is the wrath of God has it been revealed from heaven, but the wrath of God currently that would fall upon this earth, that would destroy everything that you see, God is currently reserving that in His long-suffering and His mercy. Sinner friend, you do not yet fully understand the wrath of God. Scriptures teaches us that there will come a time when the heavens will melt away with a fervent heat. We'll see fire and brimstone fall upon this earth and it will burn up. And on that great day of judgment, there would be those that would cry out for mountains to fall upon them. To hide themselves from what? From the glory of God. Now you might say, well Derek, if the wrath of God is, is what's being brought down on that great day of judgment, how then is that His glory? We live in a day and age and during a time in which we look and we hear people talk about God and normally when you hear God talked about, it is talked about from a, a loving lens as though God is only this benevolent God that would never do anything that would seem be, be seen as unseemly according to our own hearts. Now let me tell you that that's a half-truth. God is a benevolent God. He is all loving. God is love. Maybe more accurately put, love is God. But I want you to know this evening that when we look to this benevolent God and we try to judge Him according to our own perceptions, we've got this thing out of balance. As though somehow our attitudes and our minds of God would dictate who God is. 
Let me make this very clear tonight. God is not dependent upon you for Him to be true to His character. God is God no matter what. You would do well then this evening to submit your will to His. We speak oftentimes about us being humble before the Lord, that He can use us, and that we would make ourselves available to be used of the Lord. My friends tonight, if you want that to be true, as we heard during the prayer request service, if you want God to give, to, to use you, to give you something to do in this service, you must surrender your will to His. Are you brave enough to do that tonight? To surrender your will to the will of God. As each one of our children has grown up, from time to time, my wife and I like to stop and determine how strong their will is. There are times where my children have gone through periods of life where they're just stubborn as mules. They're strong-willed. And we've had to determine how we can break them of that, that, of that stubbornness while continuing that they might foster a lively spirit. Many times what takes place is in our stubbornness, we are made to, 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 to mute our liveliness, to, to mute the reality of the hope that lives within us because we are so concerned about the creature over the Creator that we put more emphasis on the things that we enjoy and the life that we want to live than allowing God to ignite our spirits that we might be able to testify of who He is. One aim that I have this evening is to inform your ignorance. Is to inform your ignorance. Here in a moment we're going to go on and we're going to see how Paul plainly told the Romans that those who would live in this unrighteousness, they are without excuse. Because God has clearly revealed who He is in His creation. There's no excuse. You today might believe that there is no God. I would have you to know that Scripture has said it is the fool who has said in his heart that there is no God. The psalmist David wrote that twice, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Derek, are you calling me a fool? I didn't write it. I'm just a messenger. I'm just delivering the mail. The fool has said in their heart that there is no God. Yet God has declared Himself to everyone in His creation that you would be without excuse. You ever have those moments where you're driving down the road and maybe you're in an area that you're not familiar with and as you're going, you, you look down and you realize that you're going at a certain speed, you're probably going fast, and, and all of a sudden you see a police officer and you're, you have this moment where you, you don't know whether or not you're speeding. You ever have those moments? I don't know what the speed limit is in this area. And I'm looking around and I'm trying to decide, do I slow down? Am I going too slow? Am I going too fast? I want to make sure that I'm obeying the law because there's a police officer here. And even if I'm not obeying the law because I don't know what the law is, he is still just to penalize me even in my ignorance. God has said there is no excuse for your ignorance. The righteousness of God has been revealed. 
The heavens declare His handiwork. The creation testifies of His craftsmanship. Jesus, when He was riding into Jerusalem, and they were asking Him to, to get His people to calm down, to, to stop crying out, He said, Are you, don't you realize that if I was to make them to be quiet, that the rocks themselves would cry out. Listen to me. All you have to do is look around. And God has revealed who He is. Your ignorance simply does not apply. I want to address your excuses tonight. There are plenty of excuses that people give for why they refuse to believe in Jehovah God. While they refuse to fall on their faces and to cry out upon the name of His Son. While they refuse to believe, while they refuse to repent. We could go through many of those. Oftentimes, when we would try to look at them just in a church service such as this one, we would hear people declining to go and pray because they don't want everyone to, to see them pray. Our society has taught that if you make yourself vulnerable, that you are somehow displaying weakness, and that weakness is not good, so then in your pride... You refuse to testify of your lost state. Anybody else like me that have a tendency to try to hide what it is that you're dealing with because of your pride? Oh, I'm bad at that. Don't want anyone else to know what's going on in my heart, so I will try to just grin and bear it and push through it because my pride says don't let anyone know what's going on. I was that way when I was lost. See, I had been taught from a young age that it was between me and the Lord. And it was. It is. It remains today. If you are lost today, your situation remains between you and the Lord. I was taught that from a young age, so I had determined in my heart that I didn't need to tell anybody. Nobody needed to worry about me. I was just going to figure this thing out on my own. And I tried. I tried to, to get through without ever speaking a word. And then finally one night, God somehow or another was merciful enough that I ridden myself of that pride in the moment that I did, He saved me. Isn't it funny how that works? When you let go of the things that you're holding on to, God will bless your life. If you're lost, if you let go of the things you're holding on to, He'll save you and, and completely give you a new life. What are you holding on to tonight? I went back and I was listening to Brother Scott's message from last night a little bit. One thing that he said was, was how he just feels like it's, it's trying to get over that hump of revival. I think he made a reference to Wednesday being hump day when he was talking about that. And getting over that hump that revival might break out. If we're going to truly experience revival come out of this effort meeting, we as God's people are going to have to let go of whatever it is that's holding us back that we might surrender ourselves to the will of God that He might be able to use us for His glory. What are you hanging on to? If I'm being honest this evening, spiritually, I'm exhausted. Yesterday, the best that I can tell was 
Perhaps the fiercest battle I ever have taken on was Satan. And it's drained me. I haven't been able to hold on to anything. It's God's. It's all His anyway. Why are you holding on to it? I go. It's your pride. Surrender it. I am a f- one that feels strongly about our mourners' benches. About these areas up front that we reserve in Baptist churches like this one. And I've noticed a trend over the last 10, 15, 20 years is that we have kind of begun to ignore it and just encourage lost people that, that you can just pray where you're at. And that's true. We all know that God can save you wherever you're at. But the mourner's bench has something. It does something that causes a change in the heart of man in which they step out in faith that they might go and seek after God. They have to display a brokenness in leaving behind the things that are to go to the only one that can offer them new life. I'll not budge on the importance of this mourner's bench. I'm not one that believes in, as I believe Brother Freeze out in Missouri used to say, in working up the suds of things. But I am one that believes that if you're lost today, the number one place that I would recommend you to go and pray is this one. If you can't get it worked out there and you feel like you need to go and pray somewhere else, you do that. But listen, if you're too, if your pride is too full that you can't come up in front of a group of people that have been in your shoes, you got a lot of work to do to get to the Lord. Didn't intend to say all that, but that's a sign that I've seen in our churches that concerns me. And I think the reason why it concerns me, or maybe the more aptly said, the reason why it's it's happening is because God's people don't use the mourner's bench like they used to. Now, you know what? I've heard that a lot in the last 10 to 15 years about God's people needing to use the mourner's bench. get a lot of amens when I talk about it from time to time. But rarely is it that God's people actually follow through. And you know what? Normally the people that do are the ones closest to God anyway. They're the ones that have less need of it. I'll get up and I'll preach a big sermon on sin. And you know who the people are that hit the altar? The pastor's wife and the deacon. Something's wrong with that. I was looking back and I was reviewing the sermons from this week that have been preached from this pulpit. When you do that, especially during a revival week, you'll begin to see the, the trend line that God has, has had for us. How He has prepared us for certain situations that will come up. How He will encourage us. How He will inspire us. How He will rebuke us and reprove us. The things that He stands to tell His people. The warning that He sends to those that are lost. And when we think about all those things and you look back at them and you review them, what I hope you begin to realize is that God has not chosen to remain silent concerning the condition of your life. But instead, He has declared to you openly through His Word and through those that He has called to preach it, those things that you need to be attentive to in your walk with Him. I have had my mind stirred by the sermon that Brother Scott preached on Monday night when he was talking about the vision. And I've heard that Scripture preached a hundred times in my life. I've heard it dealt with very poorly. I've heard it dealt with excellently. 
But the reality of, of why that verse is so precious is that what we see in that is that when we have a real clear vision, a prophetic vision of the things that are to come, and you say, Derek, are you trying to say you're a prophet? I am not. But the Scriptures has declared that we have a heaven to look forward to. And so that is prophecy for my life. That someday I will reach heaven. And when I think about that reality, and I see the glories of that place, and I see God's glory, that is the, 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 the champion thing of that place that we will one day be, where we will one day be, what I am made to do is to have my heart restrained by the reality of what awaits me that I might bow on my face before Him and testify of His glory. When you get a real clear vision of heaven, it'll change your life. You will stop living for the temporary things and you will start living for the eternal things. Lost people will use the excuse and say, well, I can do that at home. I can do that. You can. My wife was saved at home. I was saved in the back passenger side seat of a Buick Skylark somewhere between Whiteland and Waverly. You can get saved a lot of places. But Scripture doesn't tell us to wait till we get to a preferred location for us to seek after Him. It commands us to seek after Him when the Lord's dealing with you. When you feel the compelling of the Spirit, that is the time that you should seek the Lord. We have a tendency to try to ask God or, or to, to, to tell God that we want Him to fit our schedules. God, it would be a more convenient time if we could do this then. God, I know that I need to call that person, but today just doesn't work. Shame on us. Is the work of God a priority in your life or is it not? You see, I guess the connection I'm trying to draw in your presence tonight is there a, is a direct connection between when we look at the loss and we think about their struggle with the Lord and salvation to the struggle of the life of the one who is a believer. We struggle with very similar things, don't we? People say, I don't know if God is leading me. I appreciate when a lost person tells me that. The reason why I appreciate when a lost person tells me that is they've never experienced God. How can they know? It's good for them to hear testimonies for that reason. To hear testimonies of the brokenheartedness that came upon you when you were lost. To hear testimonies of, of the contrition that you went through. The frustration that you went through. when you We've heard of testimonies this week. When you felt like you had just done all that you could do and you just finally said, Lord, I just give up. Lost people need to hear that. Because there's a common thread in this, those testimonies. Each and every time I've heard somebody say that, they say, I was just about ready to give up. And that's when God saved me. Lost people need to hear those things. They need to understand the drawing power of the Holy Spirit that would compel them to come unto the Father. They need to understand the working of the Spirit that, that comes in it as one that makes clear the reality of, of their lost state. 
We talk about conviction a lot of times. We talk about conviction as that, that pit, that, that weight that sets up in our stomach where we just knew there was something wrong. That word conviction, what it really means is convincing. That there is a convincing that is done by the Holy Spirit to let you know that you are lost and separated from God. When the Holy Spirit does that work upon your heart to let you know that you are lost and separated from God, you need to take action. That is God telling you that you are living in a very perilous state. I've quoted it earlier this week. Scripture teaches us that it is in Christ that we live and move and have our being. Our lives, the very breath that fills our lungs, is dependent upon Him. And so today, if you find yourself in that perilous state where you are a breath away from hell, you would do well to surrender to the convincing of the Holy Spirit that is telling you that you are lost and separated from God. When that conviction sets in, it comes upon your heart. What it causes is contrition. It causes a broken heart. The reason why we define that or talk about that as being as a, as a pit in our stomachs or a, a weight upon our shoulders where we just feel this rottenness inside is we're feeling the weights of our sins and we know the weights of our sins have separated us from God and that they are grotesque and disgusting in His sight. And as a result of that, they come down upon us and they crush us. They cause our hearts to break. And as that contrition sets in and it causes you to, to have a deeper and deeper realization of your need to be saved, the compelling of the Spirit tells you to go to the only one that can help you in that state. Aren't you glad the Spirit works the way that it does? We'd be miserable. The Spirit never compelled men unto Christ. So what then? Inevitably, you hear somebody say, I don't know how to pray. Or I don't know what to say. Probably the one of the best experiences of my life was the night that Olivia got saved. It's Haley's friend. Met her in the back of the church. She had her hand buried in her face and she said, I can't get saved. And I thought to myself, you're almost there. If you're going to be saved, my friend, it would be that you would come to God humbly. You say, I don't know how. Ask God to humble your heart. That He would cause you to be low. And that you might, in your lowly state, be able to cry out to the exalted one. You say, I'm not sure what to say. You can talk to God like you talk to a friend. Just like you talk to me, just like you talk to someone else sitting around you. Now, I believe when you come to him, you ought to be reverent. He's not just like any old friend. 
but He is kind and He is compassionate. And He inclines His ear when He hears the hearts crying out to Him. Sometimes I can just about get that picture in my head of Him inclining His ear from heaven as a little one would cry out and you say, I hear Him. Reaches down. For now, many inclines His ear unto me as I cry out to Him. And He puts a calm assurance in my heart and He says, I hear you. doesn't always answer my prayer. Sometimes He tells me my answer is in time. But He'll let me know I've been heard. <laughs> oh, listen. My saved friend, you need to spend more time with God. You might say, Derek, I spend three hours with Him before I even get out of bed. Spend four. Oh, how the state of God's churches would find themselves to, to increase and improve and grow closer to the Lord if His people spent more time on their faces in prayer. You say, we have a problem. The power of God just isn't as strong with us as it used to be. God's people don't cry out to Him as fervently and as often as they used to either. So here's this other thing about these Scriptures that we read tonight. As it's talked about the wrath of God, as it's left you without excuse. Because when you are left without excuse, when your ignorance is taken, you are left to be found accountable before the Lord. Now, if you've been in Baptist circles very long, you've heard about the age of accountability. That's one of those Baptist terms we use. And what that Baptist term means is that there's a time in somebody's life where they reach a point that they become accountable for their sins. That if they were to die, that they would stand in judgment before God because of their sins. I've heard that updated recently and said that instead of using an age of accountability, we should use a moment of accountability. I kind of like that. But the most important thing for you to understand about becoming accountable is that if you have come to the age where God has revealed to you that you are lost and you are separated from your sins, you are accountable for those sins. And if you were to die, you would stand before God without excuse, accountable for your sins. You are responsible for you. No one else. I kind of like it that way, personally. I wouldn't want to rely on anybody else. When heaven's at stake, would you? I'm grateful that the only person that I'm relying on for heaven is the very one who emerged from the grave victorious and won my victory. I'm going to heaven not because of any good thing that I have done or any good thing that any of you have done. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. You will stand before God solely accountable for your sins. 
For those that have been saved by God's grace, a wonderful and incredible and miraculous thing is going to happen on that great and terrible day of the Lord. You are going to stand before God in judgment for your sins. But what's going to happen is that God's going to look upon you and there's going to be something there that has covered your sins. And what's covered your sins is the blood of Jesus. And when He looks upon you and He sees your sins, what He's going to see is that the righteousness of Jesus and His blood has washed over you. And because of that he is going to look upon his son and his son's righteousness and because of the righteousness of his son you will inherit eternal life (laughs) oh the imputed righteousness of jesus christ is one of the best doctrines there is (laughs) that he's going to look on his son and pardon me (laughs) that'll stir your heart if you think about it very long So what about you, lost friend? I've already mentioned about how on that great day of judgment there are going to be those that cry out for the rocks to fall upon them. Do you know that that is recorded throughout all different Scriptures? Old Testament and New. Isaiah wrote about it. John the Revelator wrote about it. Jesus talked about it. I reckon it must be true. That those that are lost and in their sins, when they stand before God without the blood covering of Jesus Christ, when there is no atonement that has been applied to their hearts, they will be wide open before the glory of God. And when the glory of God appears, it is going to judge them for their sins. And they're going to realize and know in that moment that they are without excuse to such a degree that they cry out that mountains would topple over and cover them from the righteousness and the glory of God. Oh, sinner friend, once you get these things made right, your ignorance and your excuses are no different than the fig leaves that Adam and Eve tied together to cover themselves. You try to devise a way that you might give yourself some covering or some protection that will make and pacify your spirit for a little while that you might be able to endure when it is that God has convinced you and convicted you that you are lost and separated. And you'll sew together fig leaves to try to cover up that reality. Say, friend, you do this too. Do you know that? When there are things in your life, some of you are probably doing this right now. God is calling you to repent. You are a child of His. You are one of His. Yet He's calling you to repent of some sin that you have found yourself caught up in. And you are sowing together fig leaves trying to cover that sin up as to why you should not deal with it. I'll wait. I know God. I feel this heaviness in my heart. I feel Your call for me to repent. But I'm going to wait and I'll I'll repent when I get home, God. I don't want to to show my, my, my brokenness before this people. And sew together fig leaves to excuse all sorts of unrighteousness. That's a fact. Lost friend, when you do it, you are putting yourself a breath away from hell. Sinner friend, I want that to set in deep upon your heart tonight. That you're a breath away from eternity in hell. I suppose the biggest thing that is a mark of distinction upon the life of the believer versus the life of the sinner is I'm a breath away from eternity with God. (laughs) Lord calls me home right now. I'll see you all after a while. 
you are going to be held accountable. But the blood of Jesus Christ can change all that. In the Old Testament, we read about Noah. He built a boat. You probably heard about it. When he built a boat. God told him to. And the Scripture says that after he got that boat built, that God gave him a little further instruction about something he needed to do to keep water from coming in. I don't know if you've ever thought about making a wooden boat, but if you try to make a wooden boat, what's inevitably going to happen is the water's going to get through and it's going to sink your boat. And so that boat, it needed something to keep it from, from the water from getting in and causing it to sink. And so God told Noah to pitch that boat within and without with pitch. Told him to seal it. To cover it. If you do a little bit of homework on that, what you'll find is that that same word there rendered in the King James Version pitch is the same word that's rendered later on when Moses talks about the atonement. About the blood covering. There was one time a man Jesus talked about. He was a man who was religious. And he thought himself to be pretty righteous. Righteous. And he stood and he prayed and told God all the good things that he had done. Meanwhile, there was another man who stood with a humility and a brokenness about him, so much so that he could not even lift up his eyes towards heaven. And instead, he smote upon his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What he was asking for in that moment was that God would cover his sins. Sinner friends, tonight you need a blood covering. Jesus Christ has endured the wrath of God that you can be spared from it because His righteousness can be imputed to you. You can stand before God and be declared righteous because of the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. But if you're going to come, you're going to have to come as that man did, smoting his breast in all humility, saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. Best I can tell, there's never been a man filled with pride that's come to God and get, gotten saved. Right. Oh, but if you're going to be saved tonight, you're going to have to come humble and broken. Brother Brett, get a song. You know, I've been scattered this evening. Sometimes being scattered is not a bad thing. I've noticed if I throw a rock, I've got a lot better chances of hitting what I'm aiming for if I throw a whole bunch of rocks. <laughs> but if God is speaking to you in some way tonight, God is compelling you in some way tonight, you feel the drawing of the Spirit of God upon you, I want to encourage you, I want to recommend to you, I want to ask you, I beseech you, that you would not turn away from the compelling of the Spirit of God, but instead that you with humility would find yourself broken before Him and that you cry out to Him from the depths of your heart that He might hear you. That goes for the lost and saved tonight. I forget what Brother Scott called us the other night about an altar call. He gave it a different word, whatever that was. Call it what you want. 
As we stand and as we sing tonight, if God is dealing with you and leading you in some way, come and get it right before Him. Your ignorance, it's not going to work. You're without excuse. And you're wholly accountable to the Lord. Come pray. Always stand, always sing.